Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning, Living Hope Church. It's really to be back with, good to be back with you this morning and to start at the beginning of this year, opening up God's Word with you one more time. And I have a great expectation that God would do some big things amongst us this year as we make Him our focus of our study. Over this December period, my family and I, we were down in the Eastern Cape. And we had the privilege of spending time with family down there. And once you get to this home, there's this dartboard that hangs behind the front door. And to be honest, this is the only time I actually ever get to play darts, which is once every two years. And the thing with darts is, is you're trying to take this arrow-shaped object and throw it into this board. And you must aim very carefully to try and hit a specific number. But at the beginning of the holiday, everyone is just all over the place. They're aiming right, and the dart ends up left. Sometimes the darts even hit the, don't even hit the board, they hit the wall. And they land on the floor, missing the target completely. And every time we play darts, and it's usually the men who do this, the kids see this and they want to join in, they want to try as well. And because they're still so young, and so new to this game, all they're trying to do is just to, to hit the dart board to get the dart to actually hit the board and not the wall. Now it's one thing to play darts if the goal is if you're just trying to hit the board. I mean, it's fun for a while, but that's not really playing the game, is it? That's not how it should be done because the goal in darts is to hit specific numbers that you can actually play a game and have a result. And I think that is how many people go through the Christian life. They know they must aim at following Jesus, but they're missing the mark. Or they're just happy and content if they just hit anything. Not knowing where they need to to grow and what they can do to serve God. Keeping things pretty general and general at the beginning of the year. But I want us to get more specific. I want us to know what we're aiming for. Because if you know specifically what you're aiming for, by God's grace, you can have the expectation that you will get closer in hitting the target, right? You see, by the end of our holiday, we were hitting the target with a lot more accuracy and frequency. And our game has improved greatly because the more we knew what we were aiming for, and the more we did it, the better we got over time. Now the same is true in life. Same is true in life. The more specific your goals and your targets, the better reality of success. 
And perhaps you know what you're aiming for this year. Maybe you know when it comes to things like your job, knowing what changes you need to make, how you can make more money so you can pay your bills and what new business you might want to start and what that might require of you. Or even as a student, how many hours and hours you will need to get a certain degree or program done. I mean, you go to great lengths to plan your your weekly schedules and your routines because you must get these priorities done, right? What about your walk with the Lord? What about your relationship with God? Too often people add Christianity to the rest of their lives when they do all this planning at the start of the year. Like it's a separate category. When in fact we should start with our focus on God. And everything else flows out of that relationship with Him. So let me ask you today, what are you aiming for this year when it comes to growing in your relationship with the most important person in the universe? What are you aiming for this year when it comes to talking with Him and serving Him? What are you specifically aiming for when it comes to growing in your relationship with His people? Now do you realize that there's about eight, not about, there is 8,760 hours in every year. Right? You can do the simple math. Maybe that sounds like a lot of hours to you, but think about it on in terms of a, a weekly routine basis. You have 160 hours a week on average. 56 of those hours are gone because you're sleeping. Maybe not so much for the students because they sleep a little more. 40 of those are gone because you're working. Five of those are gone because you're traveling to work. 21 of those hours are gone spending time eating three meals a day, preparing eating a meal. Maybe three more are gone if you're the kind of guy that does exercise. And for some of you, another three to five hours are spent on social media every day, which means you have about 22 hours left in one week to get everything else done you need to get done. I'm not even talking about shopping or your extra studies. All the kids' stuff and their schoolwork and the extracurricular activities, the personal family admin that needs to be got done. I mean, I don't know how long it takes you to take a bath, but I didn't even include that into the equation. Visiting other people, spending time in prayer, spending time in God's Word. And so as you look at the reality of these numbers, you recognize that not only do you need to get your priorities right, But you need to know what exactly you're aiming for if you're going to hit the target of growing in your relationship with God this year. And to help us do that, I thought we could take the next three Sundays, we're going to take the next three Sundays to consider how to make the most of the time God has given us. How to make the most of the time God has given us. And more specifically, we're going to look at how to make the most of the Lord's day. This one day out of seven, the Lord has gifted to us to worship Him together. This is our corporate day of worship together as a church family. Because the more specific we are making, being in in this time together on a Sunday, the results will be that it's going to impact the rest of your week as well. It's going to impact the rest of your life too. 
So at the start of this year, I want to talk about three targets that we're aiming for as a church. Three targets this year. Firstly, the first target this Sunday is making God's Word the center of your life. Target number one, making God's Word the center of your life. By preparing and listening carefully as we study God's Word each week. Next week, second target, we're going to talk about praying God's Word this year. Which means we're using God's own words to help fill my conversations with Him. As we're praying the Scriptures and growing in our relationship with God. Third target, the following week, we're going to talk about connecting with others and being hospitable. So we can grow in our relationship with God's people and have opportunities to show the love of Jesus to our family at church. But not just our family, to unbelievers as well. So basically, how can we best use our time that we have each week as a church family to be word-driven, prayer-driven, and relationship-driven people in 2022? And to do that, we're going to start today by looking at Paul's second letter to Timothy. Our first target this year as a church is making God's Word the center and the absolute priority of our lives. And so kids, if you're listening for the Word in the sermon today, the Word is Bible or Word. God's Word. God's Word or Bible. That's what I want you to listen for. But we have to ask ourselves why. Why should we make God's Word the absolute priority of our lives? It seems kind of obvious. It seems like an odd question that, because this is what Christians do, right? But why should we make such a big deal about the Bible? Because we know it's important. Why should it be absolutely everything for us? You see, what a person believes about the Bible has everything to do with their growth, their continuation, and their service in the faith. The reason we need the Bible so much is because the Bible equips us to live the Christian life. And I'm sure that we can all relate to the reality with millions of other believers around the world and across history, that if you deprive yourself of God's Word, over time your faith will suffer. And it's going to start to wither. And so Paul is going to help us see that we should aim at making God's Word the very foundation and influence on everything we do in 2022. And he's giving us three reasons from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Such a famous portion of Scripture. And these are, firstly, because of what the Bible is. We make God's Word a priority because of what the Bible is. Secondly, because of what the Bible does. And then thirdly, because of what God will do through the Bible. Again, this is such a famous portion about the inspiration and sufficiency of Scripture. But it also deals with the way the Bible continues to work in our lives. As we seek to grow in the faith to follow Jesus. So I want to back up just for a moment and give us the overall context. So turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 
chapter 3. We're going to read from verse 1. Paul is getting toward the end of his fruitful life and ministry as a servant of God. I mean, he's about to die. And he wants to encourage Timothy to keep on going with the right focus. Because the days were growing darker and darker. And so let's read from verse 1 here in chapter 3. It says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Paul is saying there's going to be these people who, who love themselves and it's just going to become so intense and so obvious. Look at verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, verse 4, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And the thing with these people are, they're going to be fake. They're going to have this appearance of godliness, but it's all a sham. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. So the overall context of this letter teaches us that these are false believers in the church and false Christians in the church. And they want to prey on the weak. The weak being those people who are not making God's Word the priority in their lives. Who are not fighting their sin with the power of God's Word. Verse 6, For from among them are those who creep into households. You see, they sneak in. And capture the weak woman, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. I think we can all agree that we can see how this is true in our very day right now. How the world is growing darker and darker, just as the Bible says it would. Where there's going to be so much twisting of the truth. And if you're not clear and sure what the actual truth is from the Word of God, then the lies and pressures of this world is so easily going to lure you, lure you away. But Paul doesn't say this to Timothy to leave him all down the dumps like it's all doom and gloom, Timothy. He is helping him have the right perspective. Verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. In other words, Paul says to Timothy, you need to stick to what you've seen in me and what you've learned from me. Because one of the realities of a word-driven life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is what? Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're being persecuted right now? Is it because you're living a godly life? And things are only going to get worse, Timothy. But continue, Paul says. Continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. Stick to the truth and what you truly believe. And consider from whom you've learned it, no matter what the cost. You see, Timothy was brought up by his mother and his grandmother. 
They were the ones who taught him the Old Testament from a very young age. And, and you're like, wow, what a blessing, right? To have this, this, this amazing God-fearing mother and grandmother that is teaching Timothy the fundamentals of life from God's Word. Verse 14, But as for you, continue what you have learned and have faith firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. The sacred writings here refers to the Old Testament Scriptures. And look at what Paul says the Old Testament can do. Verse 15, Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, already Paul is showing us why the Bible is important and valuable. Because it makes you wise for salvation. The only way anyone can change to not be a lover of self, not to be abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control like we just read, etc., etc., is if the Word of God has made you wise for salvation by faith in Jesus. But specifically, do you see that Paul is saying that it's the Old Testament that can do that? The Old Testament was getting Timothy ready for the promised Messiah. Even difficult sections like Leviticus and Numbers are given to us by God and used by God to prepare us for understanding Jesus. And we know that God uses His Word and His Spirit together. Emphasis on together to save His people, right? To open their eyes to the truth. You see, as Timothy came to faith, part of that process was because of the teaching he received as a child and from the sacred scriptures. And eventually God opened his eyes and he understood that Jesus fulfilled the sacrificial system. He's the Passover lamb the tabernacle, and all the different number of messianic prophecies. But it's in this context that Paul is reminding Timothy that as a Christian and as a church leader, he's going to have to swim against this intense, dark, twisted current of the day. He's living in ungodly times with ungodly people. And the best and most important thing that he can do is to center his life on God's Word. Because church, we know that the Christian message is not just a message to be received and a message to be believed. This is a message that we have to live. This is a message that has to be lived. Planting himself in God's Word was crucial for his own spiritual survival and ministry. And the same is true for us. Which brings us now, finally, to our text for today. Because Paul writes next, in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, Equipped for every good work. I mean, in this famous section about the continuing work of God's Word in the life of a believer, Paul is helping us evaluate what is our actual attitude toward the Bible. What is it that we really believe about the Bible? 
Because if you really believe it is what it is, and it can do what it says it can do, and that God has this amazing purpose to make us complete through it, then we will make every effort to prioritize it, to structure our lives around it, so it can influence everything we do. And so let's look at our first target for this year. Three reasons why we should make God's Word the center of our lives. The first reason being is because of what the Bible is. Start at verse 16. Because of what the Bible is. Paul writes, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Someone asked you, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? How would you respond to them? What would you tell them? I think most Christians would simply respond, it's God's Word. Seems like a safe answer. But what does it actually mean? What is it that you are holding in your hands even right now as you're holding the Bible? We know the Bible's like a kind of a library, right? 66 books written by dozens of different authors over hundreds of years. And we know each of these books reflect the personality and style of the person who wrote them. People who were writing in a specific time, in a specific context. Well, not just what they wanted to write, they were writing under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Peter teaches us this from Second Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing this, for, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But anyone who really spends time in God's Word, you also know that these 66 books, they're part of one big story. We've thought about this so many times here at Living Hope. One big story where Jesus is the main character. One story that has one great author. And what Paul is saying here is that every single word comes from God Himself. One way to sort of summarize how the whole Bible is a story about Jesus is to see it like this. In the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the Gospels, He is revealed. In Acts, He is preached. In the Epistles, He is explained. And in the Revelation, He's expected again. And so in your hands, you have this amazing one big story about Jesus. And now Paul explains to you that the words of the Bible are breathed out by God. Or God breathed. Which is a word that you don't find anywhere else in the Bible. I mean, the original word is Theognistus. Theo, which is God. Neustus means breath. This word means that Scripture is the result of God's creative breath. I mean, think about it like this. Your words are you breathe. Your breath led by what you were thinking, speaking certain words. You are breathing out words. But where have we heard this sort of language and this picture before in the Bible? Back in Genesis, right? As God formed the world and man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life so that man may become a living being. Genesis 2 verse 7. 
So it is that God's powerful breath has turned what seems to any unbeliever as simply lifeless words on a paper into this living, dynamic, powerful reality. You see, if we're going to grow to be more like Jesus, then we need the presence and the power of God in our lives. We need God Himself to do this work of transformation. And the Bible is what gives Him to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the technical way to look at this is that God's Word is not inspired, but expired, breathed out. One commentator, Dale Ralph Davis, he says it well. He says, every time one deals with the Word of God, one is dealing with God whose Word it is. The Word of God is not some extraneous object out there for us to squeeze to our liking. Rather, it's always warm with the breath of God's own mouth. In other words, what you have in your Bible are the very life giving words of the mighty creator of this whole universe. The one who created you with that word. The one who's outside of time, who knows the beginning from the end. Who knows what your day looks like tomorrow. Who knows what your life looks like in ten years from now. Who sees what your attitude really is toward him and his word. Because this verse makes it clear who wrote the Bible, right? All Scripture is breathed out by God. Was it the church who wrote the Bible? Was it the Pope who wrote the Bible? Was it the Puritans who wrote the Bible? You see, because we have the inspired Word of God, we can't change it to what we want it to say. Because it's easy for people today to take the view that, you know, I know in the first century they didn't have women pastors and allow same-sex marriages, but that's not the same thing anymore. Today things have changed. The thing is, God was speaking then, and He is still speaking through what He has already said today. And the truth back then, when the Bible was originally written, is the same timeless truth that is able to change everything about your life. Which in, in many ways seems so obvious to us. We know this. But then you start looking closer at your life, and at those hours spent, as you start calculating, and perhaps it's not really what is true, is it? God is using the very same truth from thousands of years ago to save people and to transform him into, them into His image. Which simply means we, we can't pick and choose what we like about the Bible. We can't decide what commands we want to obey, which doctrines we want to believe. It's either everything or nothing. All of it's from God, and therefore it's good, it's binding, it's authoritative, and it's true. I mean, look at Jesus' own attitude toward the Bible. In Matthew 4, verse 4, he says, It is written, referring to the Bible. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 24, 35. 
Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I mean, Jesus also shows us the authority of the Old Testament in the way he used it during his own earthly ministry. In fact, later in the New Testament, Jesus makes this promise in John 14, 26. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You see, part of what's happening here is that Jesus is giving the apostles and the other writers of the New Testament this amazing promise of divine inspiration. These men will also be guided by the Holy Spirit to write God's Word. Now similarly, the Apostle Peter, when he talks about the Bible, he includes Paul's writings in the category of Scripture. He says, 2 Peter 3.16, As he, talking about Paul, does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other Scriptures. The other scriptures. The point is Peter saw Paul's writings as scripture. So when Paul says all scripture is breathed out by God, he's talking about all of the Old Testament. He's talking about the Gospels. He's talking about the apostolic writings. And this was such a conviction for the early church that they were willing to die for it. They were willing to give their life for the very source of truth that gave them life. Is that your attitude towards the Word of God? So think about it. If God did not breathe life into these words of the prophets and the other authors of Scripture, and these words would be simply what? They would be these lifeless words of men. Which means for us that when you open this book, and you read the prophets, the apostles, and the other writers of Scripture, you find yourself confronted with God Himself. And if that's true, if every word in the Bible is living and active, as Hebrews says, it means they they are the most important words on the planet in all of creation. Which makes them valuable. Or as our text says, it's words that are profitable, profitable and useful. Which brings us to number two. We should make the Bible the center of our lives because of what it is. God's inspired, breathed out words. But now also because of, secondly, what the Bible can do. What the Bible does. We read We already saw in verse 15 that the Bible is what God uses to bring someone to saving faith. It has that kind of power. But the Bible doesn't only create faith, it grows that faith as well. In other words, don't just believe the Bible, the Scriptures, you have to use it. Church, we have to use it. If you really see God's Word as His Word, then what greater source of truth and wisdom is out there? If we're truly convinced of what it is, then our natural response should be, we want more of it. 
that it's profitable for me. And Paul mentions four ways the Bible is useful here in this verse. First he says, it is profitable or useful for teaching. For teaching. And more specifically, the word teaching has to do with doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine means truth about who God is. Truth about who we are. Truth about what sin is. Truth about heaven and hell. Truth about the church. About the end times and so much more. It's truth that is this framework that gives us a biblical world view. Teaching us about creation, sin, salvation, justification, how to grow in my walk with the Lord, about the local church and, and God's design for it. And what we are supposed to do with our lives under the guidance of God's Word and the Holy Spirit. You see, without doctrine, there's always danger. Without doctrine, we develop false ideas and understandings about God. We have a wrong view of the world and its influence. We have a wrong view of ourselves and the nature of sin. I mean, one simple example, the Bible teaches us that the the world that we are living in is passing away, right? We know this is a big theme in Scripture. But at the same time, we learn that the things of God are what? Eternal. Like 1 John 2.17 says. If we didn't know that from God's Word... If, doesn't, if that doesn't shape the way we understand this life, then it's going to be easy for us to be focused on what? On material things. On my own comfort. My own pleasure. Gratifying the desires of what I want right here, right now. But what if we didn't understand grace from God's Word? Then of course I will lash out at someone else when they do something that I don't like. If we don't understand the, the covenant relationship between God and His church, then it makes sense why people would just get married to the very first person that shows interest to them. No care whether they're even a believer or not. It affects our relationship with God. Doctrine is important. If a person does not have a theological basis, there is just no real compelling reason why that person should adopt any kind of ethical standard for living. See, on the other hand, if God is holy, which is doctrine that we learn from the Bible, then the ethical implication is that His followers must be holy. Remove God from the equation and you are free to do whatever you want. So the point is that Scripture teaches us what is true and what is important. But next, it is also useful for reproof. Profitable for reproof. And the word reproof here means rebuke. You see, just as much as false teaching needs to be rejected, at the same time, false living needs to be rebuked. In other words, when you study the Bible... It's going to convict you of your sin. It's going to put the spotlight on that sin that you love. But do you actually see that as a blessing from God? Because without this help from God and His Word, what's going to happen? We are so easily going to grow comfortable and content with our sin. 
Many believers even choose to avoid the Bible when they're living in sin because they don't like to see their sin for what it really is. They want to take a break from the Bible. But they're living in ways that are harming themselves, that hurt other people, and most importantly, that damages their relationship with God. And if believers are not in God's Word, they they can get to this place where they just simply don't care anymore. One Scottish pastor, he says it like this, the Bible has this wonderful ability to rebuke us, confronting us with the, the seriousness of sin, making us feel its shame, and showing us how it doesn't fit with the new life we have been given in Christ. Because is it not true that when you are coming to study the Bible, you are coming to trying to understand it, but rather it feels like it's understanding you. As if God's Word is speaking directly to you. I mean, listen to how the Old Testament puts this in about reproof in Proverbs 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light. But the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Bible saying being rebuked by God's Word and being disciplined by it is actually the way of having life. Being rebuked brings life. What about Proverbs 15.10? There is severe discipline for him who forsakes the way. Whoever hates reproof will die. You see the opposite of life here, right? If you don't like to see your sin for what it is through the conviction of God's Word, then you will what? You will die. One more, Proverbs 15.31. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. If you want to be wise and not be a fool, be someone that welcomes the rebuke of God's Word. Be someone that invites others into your life that can show you from God's Word where you are missing the mark. In fact, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself says in John 3 verse 20, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. In other words, the church loves to be exposed. This is a place that loves to be exposed. So that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let me ask you, church, are you hating the light at the moment? Is there any area of your life where you're playing with sin in the darkness? Does that reflect in how you think about God's Word? Does it reflect in your motivation for even coming to church? Does it reflect in how you spend your time with God on a daily basis? Are you not wanting to come to the light because you're not wanting to be exposed? To the church in Ephesus, Paul said, Ephesians 5.11, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. 
But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Maybe that's what God's Word is doing to you right now. It's convicting you of sin that you are keeping in the dark. That you don't want to bring to the light. Because it's shameful. But this is where our doctrine is so important, right? Because what do you believe about God's judgment and His grace? About true confession, repentance and forgiveness? About Jesus Christ being the one who took God's judgment on your behalf? The one who desires to, that you become more like Him by forsaking that sin you so love? A few verses later, and Paul says again in verse 15 of Ephesians, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. How is God's Word influencing your time in these evil times? We must be careful, church, because it's easy for people to distance themselves from God's Word, from His people, and then continue living on their own, in their own little world, with their own idols, their own sin, when in fact the blessing of God's Word puts the spotlight on that sin so we can confess, repent, and turn to Jesus again. The Bible is profitable for teaching and for rebuking. But next, it's also profitable for correction. For correction. You see, not only does the Bible, uh, the Word of God, tear us down, but it's also profitable to build us back up again. Don't you just love that? God needs to break you so that He can rebuild you. God needs to break you so that He can rebuild you. The Word not only shows us our sin, but it redirects us from the wrong path to the right one. I mean, the word correction or correcting comes from the Greek word straight. In other words, the Word of God straightens us out. It has to straighten us out. I think of my daughter. She was swimming a gala again yesterday. And as she's swimming this long 200 meter uh, breaststroke event for the first time in her life, the coach told her, you have to keep your head just on top of the water. Otherwise, it's going to be too difficult. And she listened. Because the previous time she did it, she struggled immensely. But then the coach came and they corrected her stroke. And she was able to do better. In the same way, this is what God's Word does. It corrects us. It shows us the way to do things right. But it's only those who actually welcome the rebuke of God's Word whose lives will, be start to, will start to be straightened out by the word of truth. If you don't like to be rebuked, then there's no way God's word will correct you. But if that's true, then you'll be ready to do what the word does next, because it's profitable for, for teaching, for rebuking, and for correcting, but it's also profitable for training in righteousness. Training in righteousness. Paul is saying that through the Bible, 
that we develop a godly Christ-like character. Nowhere else do we find what we need to know to be more like Jesus. That's the primary source to know how to be more like Jesus. Not through self-help books. Not through the next ten steps of being the better you. Not through you just trying to do more on your own. It is through the Bible that we know what we must aim for to be more like Jesus. Because the righteousness that has come to the believer by faith is actualized and grows by the training of God's Word. In other words, the Bible actually gives us goals and tells us how to discipline ourselves in order to reach those goals. That's what training is. See, no Olympic athlete has such great ability that he, has ne- that he never has to do any kind of training, right? If he wants to improve, he must be some, someone, there's got to be some sort of training involved where he's accounting for every meal. He tracks every kilometer. He records every minute. And in the same way, we must train through the right desire, discipline, and devotion. Emphasis on the right desire, discipline, and devotion. Like we said in the beginning with the darts, the more we practice how to throw the darts, the better we become because we know what we're aiming for. We have God's inspired, life-giving, life-altering, life-sustaining Word to help us do that. We have God's useful Word for all of life and godliness, as it says, to shape our worldview, to help us understand doctrine, to show us where we fall short, and to correct us and train us on the right path. Give us that, giving us that spiritual workout that we need on a daily basis to be more like Jesus. See, the Bible is the primary way in which God will build your faith this year. And the primary way He will guide you through this dark world. Because God's Word meets us at the deepest level of what we have. The deepest needs we have. And it transforms us from the inside out. And especially today, we need God's Word. We need truth more than we need other people's opinions. More than we need to know what our culture thinks. More than I need to know what my own heart thinks. So the question, why should we make God's Word the very center of our lives? Because of what it is. The ultimate source, God's inspired, life-giving Word. Because of what it does, it teaches, it rebukes, it corrects, and it trains. But then there's also one bigger purpose to all of this. And that is found at the end of verse 17. Number three. We should aim to make God's Word the center of our lives because what God wants to do through the Bible. What God wants to do through the Bible. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you remember the overall context of 2 Timothy again, then the salvation Paul is speaking of in chapter 3 is the spiritual deliverance from a wasted life of self-centeredness. In other words, God saved people for a life, not just to focus on themselves, but for good works. Because salvation is not God saving you simply from sin and its penalty. From heaven, 
to heaven and all its rewards. It's saving you through a life of good works. Titus 2.14 Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is what the gospel does. And God through his word equips us completely, it says here, to do that. Emphasis on completely. I mean, if we translated this verse literally in the original language, it would sound something like, God wants to make us completely complete. Know this, God wants to make you completely complete. For every good work. Which means He doesn't want to make us partly complete for the occasional good work. Right? He wants to make us completely complete for every good work that is prepared for us to walk in. Ephesians 2. Which means our life has purpose, church. Your life has purpose. Every morning when I get up early to study God's Word, that has purpose. Every Sunday when I come to church to study God's Word, that has purpose. Every train ride or car drive where you're listening to God's Word, that has purpose. God has purpose for each Christian, for each member of this church. And part of that purpose is to have you submerged in His Word so to get all the equipping you need to be His hands and feet. In this context, Paul is talking to Timothy about accurately teaching God's Word. But every Christian is to be made complete through the power of God's Word. But church, this can only happen. This can only happen if we actually allow God's Word to do His work in us. The main way the Bible equips you for every good work is not by telling us what to do for God. Hear me now. The main way the Bible equips you for every good work is not by telling us what to do for God. By tell, but rather by telling us again and again what God has done for us in Jesus. The more we see the grace of God towards us in Jesus Christ, the more we will run to the life-giving Word of God. Again and again and again. The Bible is not this book that is full of good advice. The Bible is a book that is full of what? Good news. Good news. The Bible points us to Jesus every time we fail. It points us to Jesus when we do something good. And it points us to Jesus because all the greatness and glory goes to Him. It points us to His glory and His excellence. It points us to His love. And it exposes everything else that we choose to live for. And allow to, to make more of a priority than spending time with Him. Stuff that are worthless and foolish. And seeing it for what it really is. Is that your attitude towards the Word of God? I like how one man says it. He says, As Christ expands in our vision, and as our hearts are captivated by Him, we are made increasingly complete and ready for every good work. As we walk with Him closely, His character comes to shape ours. 
as we spend time with Him every day. He begins to have a, a daily impact on us. Over time, through the Bible's work in us, we see Him more clearly. We love Him more deeply and we resemble Him more closely. It seems so obvious, doesn't it? Why should we make God's Word the center of our lives? Because of what the Bible is. God's life-giving inspired Word. From Genesis to Revelation. Because of what the Bible does. Teaching, rebuking, correcting and training. And because of what God wants to do through it. Equipping His people completely to be His hands and feet. To be the light when the days are growing darker. So how does this change the way we think about Sundays? How does this change the way we come to study God's Word week after week? What are we aiming for specifically on Sundays? I said we're going to get more specific this year. What are we aiming for on Sundays as we study God's Word together? Well, by way of application, I want us to think about it like this. Every Sunday when we come together as a church family, you can make the most of this time by making God's Word the priority in your life in at least these four ways. Firstly, read. Read. Read the Bible before you come to church. That means you have to open your Bible and read the passage that we will study that day at church. I mean, we're going to continue with the the Ten Commandments after these three Sundays. Read it before you come to church. Or read the passage back in Galatians, when we're going to get back to Galatians. Read the section again to, to get ready for that passage that we are studying at church. Prepare for the study of God's Word before you come. Which means, church, you actually have to plan your time. You have to plan your time. I know there's kids, I know there's breakfast, I know there's getting dressed and all that sort of stuff and transport, but we need to find the rhythm in the morning so that we can set ourselves up to profit from the study of God's Word. What sacrifices can you make to make that happen? Read the Bible. Second, ask. As you walk into this place every Sunday, ask four questions of every text, of every sermon. Each Sunday, you can look at these four things we talked about today and and see how the passage helps you. How does this teach you doctrine? Ask yourself, what does this passage teach me about God? For example, in our text today, we actually talked about a lot of doctrine. We talked about the inspiration of Scripture, about the sufficiency of Scripture, the authority of Scripture. So you have to ask yourself, what does this passage teach me about God? How does my understanding of this text help me to know Him better? Next, we have to ask, What does this text teach me about my sin? You have to come to church and expect to be rebuked by the Word of God. What does this passage teach me about my sin? Where do I feel conviction? Maybe today you recognize that you're not making God's Word the priority in your life. That you have grown comfortable spending time away from God. 
or only in God's word when it's most convenient to you. And you feel that conviction that you're allowing other things to, to be more of a priority and it shows in your life. That you actually have the wrong attitude about the sufficiency and the power of God's word. Maybe God is even helping you see that you're hiding sin that you need to confess. You can also ask, how does this passage help to correct my understanding of where I need to change? How does the Scriptures correct where I need to change? What other passages in the Bible helps me know how I can be, live differently? Every Sunday I try to give you other passages in the Bible to help us understand the text that we are studying. To help you see the bigger picture of God's Word. And then finally ask, where do I need to put this into practice? To be trained in righteousness. What new habits do I need to create? And who is going to keep me accountable to this? Because if we're going to do that every time we study God's Word, coming to understand doctrine, to be rebuked, to be corrected, to be trained. Church, I promise you, God is going to do some amazing things in our church if we study His Word that way this year. Thirdly, listen. Listen. The better I listen and learn, the more equipped I am to serve. The better I listen and learn, the more equipped I am to serve. See, each time you come to study and apply God's Word in your life, people are going to grow. They're going to start to take the initiative to reach out to others, to see the needs of others, to pray for others, to serve others, to be a friend towards others, to be that godly influence wherever they are. Because the word-driven people are going to be a prayer-driven people. And a prayer-driven people are going to go to the ends of the earth to proclaim the goodness of Jesus. They're going to go to places like Pretoria West to see Bible-teaching churches started in that area. They're going to allow God's Word to be the primary influence in their lives, in their families' lives, in their work, in their studies. But you have to listen to what God's Word actually says. And one suggestion is, come to church with a pen and paper. Be willing to sit and write things down. And then finally, last point of application, evaluate. Evaluate. Evaluate your priorities. Look at your life and see how much does God's Word actually influence what you do. You've got to be honest with yourself. Do you really believe that the Word of God is what it is and it can do what it says it can do? If we're going to hit the target, we must be specific. So let's make the most of our study of God's Word this year by implementing what we have learned from God's Word today. I want to close with the words of Hudson Taylor. This great sermon used by God on the mission field, and he said it is like this. There are three great truths. First, that there is a God. Second, that He has spoken to us in the Bible. And third, that what He means, that He means what He says. That He means 
what he says. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we could slow down again on this ordinary Sunday morning to study the word of an extraordinary God. Father, thank you for gifting us with your word, the the life-giving inspired words of the Bible that are able to make us wise for salvation. Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you through your word, that, that feels empty and cold in their relationship with you, Lord, make them wise for salvation. Show them the resurrected Lord Jesus who died for their sin. If there's any member of this church, Christian that in this church that is drifting, Lord, I pray bring them back this year. Help them see where they need to make your word the priority in their life. To fight sin. To fight doubt. To grow in clarity of what they can do to serve you. Help us as a church, Lord, to take these things we've studied today and apply them immediately. That we would make the time to study the Word before we come to study the Word. That it would be intentional to to ask these questions about the Bible so it can impact our lives. And that we would continue to apply and evaluate so that we can be equipped to be your hands and feet. Father, we pray that you would do great things through your word in this church this year. Please bless our efforts. Please bless those, those early mornings, those late nights, those car rides, those, those moments of ironing and listening to your word in the background. All those pockets you give us. Help us be fruitful for your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.